Okay, good to see you guys. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, it's good to be with you. I'll, I'll get, just a second. Good to be with you today. Um, man, it's so good to be with you guys. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Joe Polino. Uh, and as Donnie said, as of last Sunday, I'm the newly installed lead pastor of Antioch, Dallas. And so, uh, just so honored and humbled. I uh, love this church and just uh, excited for what God has ahead for us. And so like Donnie said, we are actually in day seven of a 21-day prayer and fasting time. And this is our fifth year in a row where we have started the year with three weeks of prayer and fasting. And so uh, just as a reminder, or maybe you're new to fasting, fasting simply when you lay aside something that you normally consume, like food or media, in order to rely more fully on God. Right, and so we see Jesus model prayer and fasting, and he taught his disciples to pray and fast. And so we want to follow Jesus and become like Jesus, so it's a good thing for us to do. But there's also this, um, this laying down of uh, our preferences or our schedules or our food or our media for the beginning of the year that just seems to set things up right. And so I love when we get to do this together. There is a cost up front but the fruit that God does in us and through us is amazing. So I hope that you're jumping in, but if you're not, I just wanna say, we wanna invite you, if, you're, if this is your first time here, to jump in with us on this fast, to get a prayer booklet. Um, and we're gonna start in uh, day eight tomorrow, week two. And so this past week, we fasted from media, so TV, social media, and said, we're gonna turn down the noise in order to connect more with God. And this week, we just encourage you to take a, a break or a fast from food in order to feast on the Lord. So however the Lord leads you in that, uh, we're gonna fast from food this next week and I'm excited to see what God does. And as Donnie shared, our theme for this fast is a surrender to Jesus, just a surrender to Jesus and his purposes for 2023. And one of the ways that we're doing this is that in our prayer booklet every day, we follow the acronym PRAY, which is P for pause, R is read a scripture, A is ask a prayer of the Lord, and then this Y is yield. And so every single day we have this question, which I'm gonna put up on the screen, which is, Jesus, I surrender, fill in the blank to you today, and I trust in you. Now, when we were putting this booklet together as a team, it was actually Rachel Thatcher had this idea, and as soon as she said it, the whole team was like, that is genius, we need to do that. And so as she said that, I did not know though how impactful this little blank would be because I kind of had some ideas of what potential things I needed to surrender. But every day, just like Donnie said, it's been different and it's been deeper than I thought. And so for me, like there's been things that have come up, uh, like I need to surrender, you know, comfort that money can buy. So that was one, I was with, I was with Donnie on that one. Another one was just things that, honestly were a little uh, painful to my pride of fearing of what people think. And I was like, man, I thought, like, come on now. Like I'm 37, about to be 38. I should be past that. But the Lord's like, I wanna do a deeper work in that. I want you to surrender that to me. I wanna give you grace in that area. So has anyone else just been a little bit surprised at what's been in that blank? I mean, it's been so, so good. So um, I, I just, I love what God's doing. And the metaphor of this surrender has to do with oars, 
has to do with oars. And so actually I have an oar right there on the front row. Yeah, I know you have Elowin. My Oh, there we go. There we go. Thank you. So last week, uh, Jim Lewis presented me with this gift of an oar. It says, Let down, lay down your oars. And it says, Joe Polino, lead pastor, Enoch Dallas, uh, January 15th. So this is really special for me. Um, I brought it home and it, it kind of reminded me of my old fraternity days a little bit. Um, but I was like, oh no, no, this is what it's for. This is what it's for, the inscription. So, um, but this idea of laying down of your oars, what good is an oar? Well, an oar powers the boat, right? So it, through um, your rowing, you can move the boat forward. Uh, another thing it does is it helps you to steer and guide where you want to go. So it's your own wisdom or your own plans. And the other thing is that if something's coming up against the boat, you can whack at it or you protect yourself, not very well, but you can give, give it your best shot. And so when, when we were praying about uh, what does it look like to surrender, and actually this was a word for the whole Antioch movement, this, this phrase of lay down your oars or drop your oars was what the Lord was speaking. And so what it means is just that we are in our own boats are dropping our oars and saying our own strength uh, is not enough. We want you to be our strength. Our own wisdom and plans to navigate where we think we wanna go or try to get where we wanna go, we wanna lay that down. And our own ability to protect ourselves or the security that we might feel the harder we try or whatnot, we wanna lay that down. We wanna lay that down. And so that's what we're doing uh, this, this fast. And, uh, and just to kind of lean in a little bit more, you know, I just want to say there's nothing wrong with, with an oar. In fact, I, I've used the oar analogy before to talk about teamwork, right? So what, what, what is he doing? I, I just want to lean in a little bit more here. Like the phrase, up, up a creek without a paddle, is to describe when you're in an impossible situation, there's no way out. And it's because you don't have a paddle to get your way out. So the world's eyes, it's like the paddle is actually the thing you need, but in the way of the kingdom and the way of Jesus, it's flipped, okay? So the, the, the more we mature, well, let me say this. When we grow up in our families, a mark of maturity is being able to do things on your own. Like, I cannot wait till all of my kids get out of diapers. I, I, I cannot wait until my, my eldest is able to not just come and like, make breakfast by, you know, kind of participating with it, but actually make breakfast, like for ourselves. Like that is a mark of maturity when she's gonna make her own bed, you know, and then so forth. You know, and those are all good things. Um, but when we grow up in our spiritual lives in Jesus, the more we mature in Christ, the more dependent we become on God, not independent. As we grow up in Christ, we're told to abide, abide in him to the point of anything we do outside of abiding in him uh, will not be fruitful. It won't, be, it won't last. Uh, and so really this dropping the oars means that we're surrendering self-reliance and choosing to be more reliant on Christ. That's, that's what this is about. Dropping the oars means surrendering self-reliance in different areas of our life and choosing to be more reliant on Christ. You guys tracking with me on that? So this is what it's about. And so today, as we get into this text, just a preview, here's what I think God wants to highlight for our church through this text. Jesus is going to invite us to drop the oars of our plans, of our own power, and our hearts in order to surrender to him. Okay, so turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 6, verses 45 through 56. 
Mark 6, we're gonna be in verse 45 through 56. So like Donnie said, we've been in a few weeks of looking at Isaiah 33, 20 through 22. And, uh, you know, that has been a great scripture where it talks about God is the majestic one. He is the lawgiver. He is the judge. He's the king. He's our savior. And he's leading us in a place where there's like wide canals and rivers, but no boat with oars will go on it. It's a powerful scripture. But when Donnie said that, I, I, I was telling this morning that I've been kind of brewing on this passage and almost like I'm ready to give birth to this thing. It's because this whole fast, this text that we're about to read has actually been the one that's been like stirring in my spirit. Like it's been the one that I've just been like, there's something here that the more I kind of read it, I just feel like the Lord's just saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. I'm like, I've read it a hundred times. He's like, pay attention, pay attention. And so I want us to pay attention today to this scripture, okay? So for context, where we're at in the scripture, so in Mark 6, um, Jesus has just performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000, okay? And so uh, even before that, Jesus has been going through towns and villages and the countryside. He's been proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's been healing the sick. He raised a girl from the dead. Then he delegated his authority to the 12 disciples and said, now I want you to go out. I want you to go preach and heal the sick. So they did that. They came back and were giving Jesus a report and it says that, that it was so busy and there were so many people coming and going that they couldn't even eat. And so Jesus says, okay, let's go to a remote place where we can be alone, okay, and you can rest. And as they go on a boat to a remote place, the crowds find out about it. They chase him there. And so they're in this remote place, but Jesus has compassion on them because it says that they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so instead of sending them away, like, sorry, we're on a pastor's retreat, you know, can you come back on Monday? He teaches them from the mountainside and he teaches them through the evening. And so the disciples are worn out, they're tired, they're hungry. And they're like, Jesus, you gotta send these people away. We have no food. And they're, gonna, they're not gonna make it back to, this, to their homes. And so Jesus says, well, you give them something to eat. And they're like, well, you got a year's salary to like, I don't even know where to buy this stuff. And so he's like, well, go find what you can, go find what we have. And that's where they find five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, bring them to me. And he takes the bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it and he distributes the bread or he gives the bread and the fish to the disciples who feed the 5,000. Okay, so just a little summary, that has just happened. And so when it says here in Mark 6, 45 is right after where this happens. So let's pick it up, Mark 6, 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. He was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. 
When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or, or the countryside, they placed the sick in marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Jesus, show us what you want us to see through this passage. Okay, so the first thing in verse 45, that I believe God wants us to surrender as our oars are surrendering our plans, surrendering our plans. So look with me again at verse 45. It said, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So what does this mean? Well, the gospel of Mark doesn't say why Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat immediately. But if you look at other gospels, specifically in the gospel of John, there's a little bit of a clue. It says in John 6, 15, that the people were going to take Jesus by force and make him king. And so there was such a stirring among the crowd that it was almost like a mob in a positive sense, <laughs> wanting to come and take him uh, and put him in authority. And Jesus, knowing this, dismissed the crowd and he sent his disciples off. So maybe that's why he said immediately, we don't really know. But the thing that I wanna highlight is that it was not the disciples' idea to get in the boat. It was Jesus' idea for the disciples to cross the lake at night. I mean, many of the disciples were fishermen by trade. They might've spent even more time out on sea than they did on land during the week. You don't really know. But it seems a little bit interesting, like why wouldn't you just wait to the morning where there's sunlight to actually go out but they didn't do that. Jesus said, immediately go out. And the disciples were not in a storm because they disobeyed Jesus. They were actually in a storm because they obeyed Jesus' plans. In fact, if you look at the previous situation with the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle was amazing. However, the reason there needed to be a miracle is because Jesus is the one that said, let's go to a remote place. And he was the one that taught all day until evening, right? So when the people were hungry, that Jesus said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. So I just wanna highlight there, like the disciples are obeying Jesus and yet they still end up in a place where they're battling hunger and then they're battling wind for their very lives. And, and why does this matter to us? And I was thinking about this and I don't know where I get this idea, but I found that present within my own mind and expectations is this idea that if I follow Jesus, things should be good. Anyone else have that general idea? If I follow Jesus, things should be good. If I'm going to church, if I'm reading my Bible, if I'm in community, if I fill in the blank, then things should be moving in the direction of up and to the right, right? Now, and to be sure, when we live wisely, when we choose God's word to be planted, to be planted in community, to pray, like we do experience good things. It says God will not be mocked, those who sow into the flesh, will reap destruction. Those who sow into the spirit will, will reap a harvest of righteousness. They'll reap eternal life. So you will get good things. But we need to be careful not to believe the lie that if I surrender my plans to the Lord and follow his ways, that it will be easy. It won't be. Here we are reminded that when we surrender our plans to God, he will lead us in paths of righteousness for his namesake, like it talks about in Psalm 23. Sometimes those paths are 
lead me beside green pastures and still waters. Sometimes it's leading you through a valley of a shadow of death. Sometimes it's leading you to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. The point is, is that he's the good shepherd and he's gonna lead you, amen? He's faithful. And so God the Father sent Jesus to rescue us and to give us eternal life to any who would believe in him so that we wouldn't perish. But he did not come to give us an easy life. Uh, as you reminded me, as I was a few years ago, I was driving home from work and normally I'm listening to either, you know, uh, some song or podcast or sometimes I'll turn on sports radio. But there was a point in my drive where I'm about a minute away from the house where I try to turn everything off and just kind of check in with the Lord and like, would you help me to like detox a little bit before I step into my home, okay? So I do that, I turn off the radio and I'm like, okay, Lord, man, it's been a hard day and it's been a series of hard days. And I just had this question come out of like, Jesus, I thought you called me to this. I thought you called me to pastor. Like, what's going on? And I don't get this, um, most of the time my, you know, my whining prayers, I call them, are just almost like getting it off my chest. And then I'm like, okay, I just need to get that out. And I, I'm like, okay, I'm recalibrated now. But this time as I was like, just pouring out my heart to the Lord, I felt quickly him respond back with this phrase. And, and he said, just because I called you to this doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I just, and as I was driving, I was like, just because I called you this doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. And I started crying. I had to circle the block because it was like this truth that God sent in me, like a loving father saying, you are called to this. You have what it takes and dig in, dig in. It's not gonna be easy. When we surrender our lives to say, I am not the captain of my ship anymore. I'm submitting and surrendering to Jesus as Lord of my life, as the captain of my ship. He will lead you in the plans you did not expect. And I, I will, for one, will say my life plan when I was 20 before I started following Jesus was pretty lame compared to the one that Jesus has, but it also is way harder than the one that I had, just to be honest. And he will lead you into plans you would not expect, all of which will be good for you in the end, many of which will be storms where you will encounter, encounter his faithfulness in unique ways. So a passage that, that goes along with this is from Mark 8, 34 through 36. And this is where Jesus, he said, he called to the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And when we drop our oars and we surrender our plans, there's gonna be some front end sacrifice, but it's so much worth it, y'all. What sacrifice is worth forfeiting your entire soul? There is none. Jesus is our treasure. Jesus wants to give us eternal life. So this does not mean we fall into like passivity. So how do we apply this to our lives? It doesn't mean it's like, okay, I drop in my oars. You know, I'm gonna quit my job. I'm gonna, no, no, that's not what it means. This is a test of the heart. Of, are you submitting your plans to Jesus fully? Is this relationship that you're in honoring the Lord? Yes or no? Like, Lord, help me. I'm submitted to you. Is this job, which I don't like, the one you're calling me to stay in? Lord, I just want my posture of my heart to be surrendered to you in my life plans. Okay, so I believe that's number one, that he wants to, he wants to lead us in dropping our plans and just surrendering them to him.
You guys with me? So that's number one. So let's go on to number two, which is surrendering our power. So in verse 47, it says, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and, he, and Jesus, he was alone on land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Which I can just say, can we give the disciples a break? Like, my goodness, like they left everything. They've just, they've just been through the ringer. They see a ghost, it's Jesus. I mean, they must be just like shaking when they arrive on the other side. Like, what is happening right now? Um, and, and they're exhausted. They're in the middle of the lake. It says that they've been at it all night. So that's about nine hours of trying to like keep the boat from turning over. And interesting, this is not the first time that they've been in a dangerous storm. In Mark 4, the disciples are in a terrible storm and Jesus is asleep in the boat. And this is where they wake up Jesus and they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus wakes up from his nap. He says to the winds and the waves, be quiet, be still. And it happens. Like the wind stops and the waves are calm to the point where like, I don't know if uh, we were talking this morning, like Macy was sharing, when you're in a storm and the, the wind and the waves, like even if the storm passes, the waves are still choppy for like hours after. It says it was completely calm. Like it stopped. And there were, they were more terrified of Jesus afterwards than the storm. They're like, who's this? Who are you? Like that, that the wind and the waves obey you. I'm more terrified now of of you than of dying in the, in the storm. Like, it's amazing. So they've already been through this before. But this time, Jesus isn't in the boat. Jesus isn't he, in there. He's not within earshot. So I can just imagine like, oh man, I wish he was taking a nap again. Like we, we've been through this one, but he's not. But it says in verse 48 that from the land, it says Jesus saw them straining at the oars. And then he comes to them while they're at their darkest hour and most desperate hour of the night, walking on water. Man, and when it says he was gonna pass them by, don't let that trip you up as if he was gonna do like a Jesus juke of like, oh, I'm not, just kidding. I was gonna save you, but no, I'm not. Like he, what, he, what he's talking about there is, is in Exodus where Moses says to God, will you show me your glory? And it says in Exodus 33:18, 18, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. And so Jesus is stamping on them again, that I am your rabbi and teacher. I am also the Messiah. I am also the great I am. I am the great I am. He passed by them and he also wanted them to see them. So he, he walked close enough to where they could see him and it wasn't just one person hallucinating. It was like all of them saw it at the same time, right? Like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Like, there's a ghost over here. Yep, yep. Are you scared? Yep, I'm scared. Yep. And so in preparing for this message, you know, what, what are some things to encourage us with? Um, I had one of those weeks where just things don't go according to plan, which seems fitting. I'm gonna preach on letting my plans go. We had a stomach bug hit our house. And so kids are out. Uh, we had a few sicknesses, like, when Amy had the stomach bug too, and when mom goes down, the whole house goes down, amen? Hus husbands are like, oh man, I will pray for you right now. 
So I just was like, I was preparing and I was like, Lord, I feel like this passage where it says, I feel like I'm straining at the oars and the wind is set against me right now. I was like, that feels like me. That feels like me. And so how am I gonna preach you know, a message on this? And I felt like the compassion of God just gently whispered, whispered to me, this is how many others in your church feel right now too. And I wanna encourage them today. And so if you would say that this sentence, I feel like I'm straining at the oars and the wind is against me might actually be the best description of how you are right now. The Lord wants to encourage you where you're at today. And here's how he wants to encourage you. Number one, in verse 48, it says that Jesus sees you. He sees you. It may seem like you are alone and God is absent from your life or your trial. You are not alone. Jesus sees you. His eyes on the sparrow. I know that he watches me as that old hymn goes. Sometimes we all need a little assurance that we're in this storm and that Jesus sees us. And I wanna say he sees you today. Jesus saw the disciples when they didn't think that he did. He saw them. He saw them. And you know, you might think, well, that's great. I'm glad that he sees me. Is he eating popcorn, making jokes with the father on the mountain? You know, look at James and John's face. They're terrified. This is hilarious. Should I go say him? I wanna give him a few more minutes. A few more minutes. Like, does he, is he, what's he doing? Well, if you remember in verse 46, why is Jesus on the mountain? He's there to pray. He's there to pray. We don't know exactly what he's praying for, but I bet he's praying for his disciples because he knew the storm they were about to go into. He knew what was coming and he knew what they needed. And I bet he was interceding for them. I bet he was praying for them because he says, they still don't know, Father. They still are not seeing and I want them to see. Would you help them to see? In verse 46, it says, after leaving them, Jesus went up on the mountainside to pray. And so another way, Jesus sees you and how does Jesus encourage you? Jesus prays for you. He's praying for you. And how does he pray for you? Man, when your strength runs out and your power to manage the wind, man, I hope you have friends to call on that intercede with you in fervent prayer. Because one of the reasons God puts us in a family is so that the prayers of other people can give us strength when we're done. Have you ever experienced that? When you're just like, I'm done, uh, I have nothing left to give, and you, and you confess that or you share that prayer request or you are vulnerable in your community or with your friend, and you just feel the strength of the Lord come when you, when you hear their prayer. Man, I hope that you have friends like that. I remember back in, uh, just out of college, I had a roommate. And this was a season in my life where I was being stretched in every which way. There was trouble in my family and, I would, and we would pray consistently for these things with my roommate. His name was Grant. And I just remember during a, the peak time where it was so painful and I just didn't know if, I didn't know where God was. I just told him that. And I just remember I, just, I was laying on my bed in our room and just got a bad report of something that happened in our family and I was just like, I don't know what to do. And I just remember Grant just in the room and he was just pacing and he was praying. He was saying, Jesus, Jesus, come, Jesus, come, Jesus, come. And he started praying for people by name and family members by name. And I just remember like in that room, whew, I get emotional thinking about it because it strengthened me and something was shifted. 
And so my friend, I haven't, we haven't kept up over the years, but I am bonded to him in a way that's unique because of the way that he has interceded for me. And you get a little bit of a taste of the heart of God that wants to strengthen and encourage you and build you up in your inner man whenever you get to pray with your brothers and sisters like that. Amen? But even if you've not experienced that recently or never experienced that, Jesus is interceding for you right now. He is the high priest. Like the high priest would need to go through phases. It was like, you know, you would be in office for a certain amount of time, then you would die, and then you would have a new high priest. When Jesus died for our sins and he rose again, it says that he will live forever. So there's not a need for a new high priest. And in Hebrews 7, it says this, because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Forever, he is interceding for you at the right hand of God right now. So I just hope that strengthens you. If you feel like you're in a storm or you're out of strength, whatever that might be, maybe it's for your family, maybe it's in your own plans, maybe it's in a situation that's impossible, finances, I don't know. Jesus is interceding for you and we as a church wanna strengthen each other in interceding for one another. Amen? Amen. So, so what do we do when we come to the end of our own strength? We remember that he sees us He's praying for us and he's coming towards us on the waves and invites us in the boat with him. And this gets to our last point of surrendering our hearts. So in verse 50, let's pick it up again as we're kind of heading home here. It says, immediately he spoke to them, to the disciples in the boat. He said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, verse, 40, verse 53, when they had crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, in the villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. So what's going on here? Jesus comes to them. They think he's a ghost, but he says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Or some of your translations might say, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And again, when Jesus says, it is I, when I was writing this up, the you know, autocorrect was trying to say, it is me. I was like, no, Jesus is saying, it is I. It is I, he's saying, I am. It is the I am. You know, it's not like, hey, it's me, Jesus, don't worry. It's not a ghost. It's like, no, I am is here. I am. Now, this last point, I'll just be honest, I really wrestled with this because there's so many things I could say here, but this verse really messed with me. When I say, like, I, I feel like there was, the guy was just saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. It was because of this verse where it says in verse 52, well, right before it says that they were completely amazed when Jesus got on the boat and the wind died down, they were completely amazed. Yeah. I would be amazed too. He's walking on water. 
the storm has stopped. Like that should be the end of the sentence, but it's not. It says they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What? And that's the part that I've just been really chewing on and asking, God, would you show me? You just came walking on water, all these things. You should be amazed. Wouldn't that be the lesson, the point? And also like, why the loaves? Yes, this did happen just yesterday for them, but they've already been in a storm where you've calmed it down. Why not say that they did not understand the lesson of the storm? Because that was what they just went through as a storm. But he talked about the loaves. There's something developing the hearts of the disciples that there's a, there's a softening that's happened. You would think at this point that they would understand who Jesus is, but it's not until a few chapters later in chapter eight that, that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And it's there that Peter says, you're the Christ. And then when he says, you're the Christ, he says, well done, Peter. On this rock, I'll build my church. And the very next passage Jesus says, I'm gonna go and die. I'm gonna be tortured and I'll, ride, I'll, I'll raise again after three days. And then Peter says, no, that's not a good plan. And then Jesus says, okay, the first eight chapters were to help you to see that I'm the son of God, I'm the Messiah. The next eight in the book of Mark are to help you see that I need to die. And this is why I've come. And that's the part the disciples are wrapping their minds around. So why is the breaking of the loaves by Jesus a sign that he wants them to understand. And I think that's the point that this morning, I just wanna ask the Holy Spirit to give us more understanding of. When you think about the breaking of the loaves, Jesus took the five loaves, he gave thanks and he broke it and he distributed it. But after that, it says in John six, that the crowds came to him again and he said, you're coming to me not because of who I am, you're coming to me because you had your stomachs filled with bread. And he says, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever thirsts in me, whoever uh, thirsts in me, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, excuse me. I'm the bread of life. And so there's this key that he's pointing to the disciples, even in the storm, that the loaves are what they need to pay attention to. And that Jesus on the last supper when he's having the last meal before he goes to the cross, he takes that Passover meal. And that Passover meal is supposed to represent God's grace over the people of Israel with the Passover lamb taking the place of their sins. There's no lamb mentioned in the dinner because Jesus is the lamb. And he takes the bread and he breaks it and he, he gives thanks. And as he passes around, he said, this is my body that I've broken for you. This is the lamb that's been given for you. It's me, it's me. Do this in remembrance of me and then drink of the cup of the covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And he actually gives the church this instruction to keep doing this so that we will not grow hard of heart just like them. And so I believe the Lord is wanting to surrender our hearts and just saying, Lord, is my heart callous towards this message? Is my heart callous? Or am I, do I need to soften my heart and surrender my heart again? And so we're gonna respond in a second by taking communion. And, and just like that fill in the blank has been really impactful for a lot of us on Jesus, I surrender, fill in the blank to you. I feel like he wants to do the same thing 
of God, help me to understand, fill in the blank about the loaves today. Help me to understand what you're doing today. And so if you're a Christian here, if you follow Jesus, in a moment, we're gonna take communion and the way we're gonna do it, we're gonna have some officiants up here and they're gonna have uh, some bread to give to you and then you're gonna take the little cup and you're gonna go back to your seat and you're just gonna ask that question, God, would you help me to understand your body broken for me? What do you want me to understand today? Because when I said to Donnie, I feel like he wants to burst something today, it's not because I feel like I have something to offer, it's because God wants to do something in individual hearts this morning in a fresh way. Does that make sense? And so I just wanna let the Spirit lead as we're taking communion and say, Lord, I don't wanna just be doing all the right things. The disciples were doing the right things. They were getting in the boat. They, they were crying out to Jesus, but it says their hearts were still hard. And so we can miss it. We can miss it if we don't surrender. God, would you help us to surrender our hearts and remember what the significance of the loaves are, okay? And so practically, just again, in a moment, just gonna invite you up. The band's gonna come to the front and they're gonna lead us in a worship song. And if you're uh, over to my left, your right, if you have a gluten um, allergy, these are, there's gluten-free bread over here. And then over here to my right, your left, there's going to be just normal bread. So just want everyone to be able to partake. If you are not a Christian, uh, man, we are so glad that you're here. We want you just to consider what I'm saying and, and abstain from taking this since this is for a family, uh, a family meal for those who put their trust in Jesus. And so I'm gonna go ahead and invite the band to come up. And as he's coming up, I just wanna review again what I feel like God put on my heart for us to, to consider. One is that he's wanting to have us drop our oars of surrendering our plans surrendering our plans and just reminding us that he came to give us eternal life, but not an easy life. He came to give us bread. He came to be bread, not to give us bread. Number two is that he wants to surrender our power to him and that Jesus sees us and he intercedes for us and wants to give us his power, his strength in that area. And then lastly, that he wants to surrender our hearts. God, would you help me to understand what you're saying about the loaves? Would you help me to understand what you're saying about the loaves? And so we're just gonna leave those points up there. I'm gonna invite you just to stand where you're at. I'm gonna pray for us and the band's gonna lead us and just encourage you when you're ready, just to come and partake and go back to your seat. Just say, God, would you soften my heart? God, I surrender my heart to you. Would you show me? Would you show me what you want me to learn from the loaves? And so Jesus, I thank you that you're so good and you're so awesome more than we even know, that you are the great I am, that we wanna surrender our plans, our power, God, our hearts to you today. So come and have your way as we take of your communion. Thank you for breaking your body. Thank you for surrendering your body and your will to the Father so that we can have life. Thank you for leading us in this. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.